Today we are jumping into something new, and uh, as we talk about what it looks like to have these new series, what's going to come next, what are we going to try to do, I always like to do an Old Testament book in there, and we, me and Rose were talking about it, and Rose said, what about Jeremiah? And I said, uh, no, that's okay. <laughs> uh, Jeremiah, that's a toughie. I don't know if we really want to do that one. Um, but as we went out from that meeting, I couldn't help uh, it be, it was still stuck in my heart. I still had it in my head. I was like, all right, I think we should do it. So today we are starting this, uh, this book of Jeremiah. And how many of you have actually read Jeremiah? Has anybody read Jeremiah? All right, good for you guys. It's a hard book. Uh, and if you haven't, I don't blame you because it's a hard book. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to, for the next eight weeks actually, we're going to be tackling this and trying to look at what these themes and the truths of Scripture have for us. So if you guys have, you see in front of you, there's some note sheets. We don't usually put things out like that. But because this series is so big and so much to it, I wanted to give you guys an opportunity to take notes. And if you scan that QR code, it'll actually take you to today's passage that we're going through today. Uh, but but it will also be on the screen as we continue. Um, so, real quick, in your mind right now, I want you to visualize what a prophet is. Like, what do you think a prophet is? If you were to close your eyes and think, when I hear that word, this is the image that pops in my head. I think for a lot of us, it probably looks a little bit like this. Uh, like somebody that's wise, contemplative, that somebody that can maybe tell the future or what's to come. Uh, this is actually the picture that pops up most if you Google Jeremiah. So uh, this is what most people probably think of when they think of a prophet. In reality, though, it probably doesn't look anything like that. It probably looks more like this. Somebody that is off to the side that is cast away. Uh, if you look at this whole painting, there's a bunch of rubble and there's no other people sitting around him. It's just kind of some guy. Usually it's not super flattering. Prophets were kind of all over the place. If you read the Bible, there's stories about prophets like running around a town naked for three days. There's a, stories about like prophets like picking up poop and like rubbing and stuff. Like it's weird stuff. So prophets aren't usually the way, thing that we think about when we think about what a prophet actually is. And the story of Jeremiah, that is, there is nothing there that makes this any different. That Jeremiah is probably not exactly what you're going to think of when you think of a prophet. But he is nonetheless. And when we read through the book of Jeremiah, a lot of the things that we're going to hear are kind of hopeless and they're, they're disparaging. And when people heard these things, nobody actually wants to hear those Nobody wants to hear that things, that judgment is coming, that hard things are coming. People would rather blow that off. So Jeremiah was an outcast. And we're going to see a little bit about why these things are important, why it is important to dig in. And so today what we're going to do is this is kind of introductory to Jeremiah. We're going to look a little bit about what this book is what we can learn from it. And then next week, Johnny Fielding is going to be here and he's going to be talking a little bit about Jeremiah 1. He's going to start our journey through the book. But before we do that, I want to make sure that we get some context of Jeremiah. I want us to be able to have a little bit of a picture of what this looks like. And Jeremiah was a prophet for a long time. He was a prophet for a lot of different kings. And I want to make sure that we are ready for that. So some of you guys are probably tired, but I want you to take and put your school hats on, at least for the next five minutes, because I want to make sure you guys are prepared to hear what Jeremiah is actually for. And so... The first thing that I want us to recognize is that there was God's chosen people. Does anybody know what God's chosen people was in the Old Testament? 
Israel. You guys, yeah, good, good. All right, nice job. So Israel was God's chosen people, and it was this people that God blessed. It was this small nation that his covenants were made with. And eventually, as history went on, there were lots of wars, there was lots of fighting, and eventually Israel was kind of wiped off the map. Kind of. There were 12 tribes of Israel. They were split up. And eventually there was northern, there was the northern part of the country that was Israel. And there was the southern part that was Judah. Syria eventually would take Israel and wipe it off. But Judah was one of the 12 tribes that would last. So we see Judah, that is one of the tribes that the people that is left. And Jeremiah is there as a representative for God. And throughout this book, we're going to hear about three kings. These three kings we're going to see is Jehoiakim, and we're going to, he's ultimately, though, the son of Josiah. Josiah was this king that brought God back to the land, that showed people the goodness of who God was. And then the son, his son Jehoiakim came, and he was kind of just not as great. And then we'll also hear about Zedekiah, and that was a pretty rough reign for all of Judah. And we see a large fall of grace from grace with a lot of these people and what's going on. And there's a lot of conflict and there's a lot of infighting and there's a lot of not trusting who God is. And the interesting thing about this book is a lot of times this book should be read like a divorce, which is weird to hear. But it's a really, it's a divorce between God and his people. God is not happy with his people. Then the reason is like, well, they're gonna, if they're gonna, you're going to call a divorce, can you actually say like, that's the reason they're getting divorced because God isn't happy? It's not just because of that, it's because his people are unfaithful to him. Think about a marriage. A marriage is a covenant between two people, right? And if one person is unfaithful in that covenant, they are breaking that covenant with the other person. And that's what God's people is doing. That's what Judah is doing. They are being unfaithful to God. And God is saying, hey, if you're going to break this covenant, like, we got to break this off. This doesn't work. I can't be with you if you're going to be sinful. And so what, what is going to happen here is Jeremiah is ultimately going to be talking to these people about this judgment that is going to be coming from Babylon. That there's going to be this judgment. God is going to use Babylon to come and judge his people. To say that something is coming. Something hard. Something difficult. But we don't want to, we want you guys to know that this is here. And so the book of Jeremiah gets written. Something we have to understand is scholars will read the book of Jeremiah. And what they will say is, Actually, this book is kind of backwards. Um, so Jeremiah is an anthology. So if you don't know what an anthology is, it's something like Goosebumps or like uh, Black Mirror or something. Like there's a theme, there's some sort of idea. Maybe there's some things that cross over from episode or story. But it's all kind of these scattered stories about these similar things. And so the books can feel a little bit all over the place, and we'll see that when we read it. But a lot of people think that chapter 36 should be the place where we start. And that's because chapter 36 is about the writing of the book of Jeremiah. That's kind of what this, this whole chapter is, and it's smack in the middle of the book. And this whole writing is a, comes from somebody named Baruch. He was a writer for Jeremiah, and he commissioned him to write down the words that God had revealed to him. So he said, Baruch, I can't go to the temple. I need you to go to the temple. 
And we're going to see there's some stories that pop up where Jeremiah goes and says some pretty wild things that the people of the temple don't really like. And so he's banned from going to the temple, so he sends somebody else to go over there to actually start telling others about what is coming. That we can't just let this stuff slide by. And what people start to think and what they agree is that this, the book of Jeremiah are these things that Baruch had written down. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at chapter 36 of Jeremiah. It's a long chapter. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But what I want us to see is that there is a narrative here that will help us to see the structure of the whole book of Jeremiah and how this whole thing is addressed to the people of Judah. All right? And so the first step that I see here is that Jeremiah warns of what is coming. Jeremiah warns of what is coming. So if you guys have that passage pulled up, if not, it'll be up on the screen. We're going to start in verse 11. We're going to go through verse 19. It says, When Micaiah, the son of Gemariah, son of Shaphan, heard all the words of the Lord from the scroll, he went down to the king's house, into the secretary's chamber, and all the officials were sitting there. You guys ready for a bunch of wild names? I'm going to do my best not to butcher this. So, uh, Elishama, the secretary, Deliah, the son of Shemaiah, uh, Elnathan, the son of Akbar, Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, Zedekiah, the son of Hananiah, and all the officials. And Micaiah told them all the words that he had heard. But when Baruch read the scroll in the hearing of the people... Then all of the officials sent Jehudi, the son of Nethaniah, son of Shelemiah, son of Cushi, to Baruch, take in your hand the scroll that you read in the hearing of the people and come. So Baruch, the son of Neriah, took the scroll in his hand and came to them. And they said to him, sit down and read it. So Baruch read it to them. When they heard all the words, they turned one to another in fear, and they said to Baruch, we must report all these words to the king. Then they asked Baruch, tell us, please, how did you write all these words? Was it at his dictation? Baruch answered them, he dictated all these words to me while I wrote them with ink on the scroll. Then the official said to Baruch, go and hide, you and Jeremiah, and let no, let one, no one know where you are. So Jeremiah goes and he wants to warn the people of what is coming. So he decides to have Baruch go and read this at the temple. And these people hear it at the temple and they're saying, that's not good. Uh, bring this to the king, and we're going to let him look through this. So they bring it to the secretary of the king, and they read through it. And see, Jeremiah, he's going out and telling others of what is coming. There's a warning of what is happening. And there's all these talks about other nations coming to destroy Judah and this coming judgment of what is happening, and that nobody will be able to rival God's power. And Jeremiah wants to let others know about this. So Baruch is going out and telling them and he does, that he doesn't want to neglect what Jeremiah has, but more importantly, he doesn't want to neglect what God has for his people. He wants to be faithful and so he wants to bring these things before them, but the people hear this and they're fearful. But why are they fearful? They're fearful not so much because of what's said, but because how the king is going to respond. What is the king going to say? What is the king going to do? when all this wild stuff is coming out. And so Jeremiah wants to go and to warn these people. But the next thing is that the people, they'll just blow it off. That they just don't want to think about it, that they just don't want to consider this, but instead they want to bring it to the king to see what the king has to say. So we're going to look now at verses 20 through 26. 
So they went into the court to the king, having put the scroll in the chamber of Elishama, the secretary, and they reported all the words to the king. Then the king sent Jehudi to the scroll, and he took it from the chamber of Elishama, the secretary. And Jehudi read it to the king and all the officials who stood beside the king. It was the ninth month, and the king was sitting in his winter house, and there was a fire burning in the fire pot before him. As Jehudi read three or four columns, the king would cut them off with a knife and throw them into the fire in the fire pot until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the fire pot. Yet, another, yet neither the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words was afraid, nor did they tear their garments. Even when El-Nathan and Deliah and Gemariah urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. And the king commanded Jeremiel, the king's son, and Sariah, the son of Azrael, and Shelemiah, the son of Abdeel, to seize Baruch, the secretary, and Jeremiah, the prophet. But the Lord hid them. So these words were shared, but nobody was scared. Nobody was fearful. Nobody was like ripping off their clothes and running around wondering what they're supposed to do. This king is just taking a knife and saying, Nope, 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 until it all goes in the fire. It's trash, that's what they're saying. It's worthless. There's no point in reading this. They weren't afraid of the Lord's judgment. Imagine these people hearing these words, though, of death and destruction. These things that maybe, like, might look or sound crazy. You have to admit, like, this is not stuff that always is popping up in the Bible, so is this really what, what's going to happen? Like, is God really going to do this to his people? Like, it almost feels unbelievable. It's, like, it's kind of like when you have, like, that crazy Uncle Fred that only shows up to, like, Thanksgiving and sometimes Christmas, and uh, he has those wild conspiracy theories about how the world's about to end and uh, how there's ultimately, like, gonna, the government's going to take us down with the aliens they've been keeping in storage for like the last 25 years or something, right? Like these, th- these wild ideas that are popping up. People were considering that this is what Jeremiah and Baruch were doing, that they're just saying these things like, okay, thanks for telling us that, you know? In reality, though, what this is more like is if someone told us that hell is coming, that destruction is coming, that God is going to judge us, and we didn't take it seriously, now, I'm not saying that those guys that stand on the corner at, like, Kent State or in, like, Akron that are screaming on the corner that are, like, telling you, like, that you're going to hell. I'm not saying that's the right move. I'm not saying that's the way to do it. But what I am saying is that hell is something that is real. It's, I, I'm not going to stand up here and try to sugarcoat this. I'm not, not going to stand up here and tell you that this isn't something that we deserve, but hell is very real. And we can live day, day by day and live it easy and not think about the reality and the punishment of what we should be having. But I think we would be missing some of the point of what justice actually looks like. We'd be missing the point of part of who of God, that God is. We too often take the idea and understanding and even some of those passages that talk about hell and we throw them in the fire so easily. The last part of the structure, though, that I see is that Jeremiah warns them again. We're going to look towards the end here at verses 27 through 31. It says, Now after the king had burned the scroll with the words that Baruch wrote at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Take another scroll and write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, had burned. And concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, you shall say, Thus says the Lord, you have burned this scroll 
saying, why have you written in it that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and will cut off from it man and beast? Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have none to sit on the throne of David and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat by day and the frost by night. And I will punish him and his offspring and his servants for their iniquity. I will bring upon them and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the people of Judah all the disaster that I have pronounced against them. But they would not hear. God is unrelenting of his reminders. He doesn't want to just leave his people in the dark. That's not what he wants to do. But justice has to be pronounced. Something has to happen. What God is saying is that the reign of Jehoiakim is over. And the throne is going to be taken from Judah. Be warned that God is going to judge his people. And here's the interesting. Historically, that is kind of true. What actually happened is that we see there's a few other kings that will reign. There's a few other people that will pop up, but none of them are anything of anything of note. Like none of them are people that are like these huge leaders that we'll never forget. God is coming to them and saying, I warned you. And justice is not something we can escape. It's not something we can stay away from. And we're in an age right now where we like to take justice into our own hands to try to figure out problems and then just say, I'm just going to like sit in the goodness of God. And it's true, God is so good. But he gets the final say when it comes to justice. We a lot of times just want to handle things and figure things out and handle what's going on in the world ourselves. But God has the final say. I think people often ask, what does it actually mean to the fear of the Lord? It means to have this utmost understanding and respect that he is the God of the universe, the God that created us, the God that gave us life, and the God that is ultimately the one that is perfectly just because he is the definition of just. And if we neglect this whole idea of justice, if we try to figure it out ourselves, we're going to miss the point of what, this, what we should actually be striving for. At the end, it talks about the fact that God is going to take the corpse of Jehoiakim and cast him out. That's brutal, but it's because God takes disobedience very seriously. So we have to ask, and it begs the question, what is the point of Jeremiah? After going through all this, we're talking a lot about destruction. We read about the fact that Babylon is going to be used as a way to destroy Judah and teach them a lesson. We're hearing all these things, and what are we supposed to say? Just read it and be like, yep, it says that. I think, though, it's, it's summed up well in verse 3. It says, Take a scroll and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations from the day I spoke to you from the days of Josiah until today. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the disaster I intend to do to them so that everyone may turn from his evil way and that I may forgive their iniquity. And their sin. The point of Jeremiah is not just to say that judgment is imminent, but it's for God to say, I don't want to do this to you. You have a chance. Come back to me. He's addressing his people and saying, turn away from your old ways because I have to do this. I have to exact justice, but it doesn't mean you have to be a part of, these pe part of this. You can turn back. You can look to me. 
all he's asking is that they come towards him. If, if there's somebody that is on trial for murder and they, they're out there, if they've killed three people, they're, they're going to get the death sentence and they're saying, I don't really care about what I've done. You know, like, I'm just doing it because I want to do it. And if somebody comes and gives them the offer and say, you don't have to be killed. All you have to do is turn away from what you do and follow me. Justice should be served, and if that person doesn't turn away, justice will be served. But God is saying, but you don't have to be a part of that. Come with me. Be with me. He's asking for people to repent. The thing is, I deserve hell. You all deserve hell. But that doesn't have to be the case. God will deal out justice one day to those people that are not faithful to him. But what he's asking from you is faith, to trust in him, to trust that he is better. And so if you're sitting in this room and all you're thinking about is the fact that I'm living a life that I know God doesn't approve of him and I'm okay with it. This warning of judgment, that, is, that warning is for you. That if you're seeing this room and saying, I think, I'm, I think I'm a Christian, I do the right things, I come to church on Sundays, and I come to next on Tuesdays, and I think I'm doing all the right things, and then you go out after this and continue to sin, and you continue to be okay with it, and continue to be unrepentant, this warning is for you. All God is asking for is faith. He doesn't want you to be a part of this, but he can't not be just. It's not a part of who he is. And he's not asking for perfection. He's asking for faith. He's asking for you guys to trust in him. He's asking for you to come before him. He's saying that if you are doing your best to fight your sin, to trust that my spirit is going to work in you, that's all I'm asking. He's not expecting perfection. He's asking you to follow him and do your best to be as faithful as you can. There's grace for slipping up. He just wants you to say, I want to be better. So, if we're talking about what is the point of Jeremiah, the point of Jeremiah is that in the midst of judgment, God provides hope to those who seek him out. God loves his creation so much, so much, but he is just. He cannot stand idly by and be with sin. It doesn't work that way. The God that is perfect, the God that is righteous, the God that is per- the one that is the definition of justice cannot just stand by sin. And so something has to be done about it. So he sent his son to die for us, to give us the opportunity at life. Salvation is available, but we have to remember judgment is imminent. God isn't excited about the fact that he has to destroy people. That's not what he's wanting. It's, that is consistent throughout Scripture. But also what is consistent about, throughout Scripture is that he wants his people to be with him. To say, look at me, look at my grace and mercy, and it is so much better than the justice that I have to dole out. But he has to do it. And so if you're sitting in the moment, a time in life when things feel hard, things feel hopeless, it feels like the most difficult time in your life, God can be that light for you. God is that piece of hope in the darkest moment of what you're feeling. And this is what the book of Jeremiah is about. 
that we're going to read about all this destruction and things that are imminent, some wild stuff that Jeremiah says. But if we look, sprinkled in there are these pictures of hope that God wants better for his people, that he wants his people with him, and that he wants his people to go and to walk alongside of him to the best of their ability. So next week, when we jump in to Jeremiah 1 and we look at this calling of this prophet, Keep in mind that God wants the best that he can for his people. All he asks for is repentance. Bow your heads with me. I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for the book of Jeremiah. I thank you for the prophet that you gave us that we can learn from, that we can grow from. Lord, let us never forget that you are just. That judgment is on the horizon, that it's imminent but that you would rather us be with you forever than be a part of the judgment that has to be doled out. And help us to see that as we read through the book of Jeremiah, as we see what the words that you gave this prophet, and help us to see this example of Judah and how you use Babylon, and how we can learn to look to you better, and ultimately that we have hope in your son and his work on the cross. In your name I pray, amen.